Hello everyone, we are now embarking on chapter 2 of our series on hearing God. But before we begin, let's go over some highlights from last week where Pastor Fritz kicked the series off with chapter 1. The big idea in this chapter, in fact the entire book, was this statement. People are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to. A thriving life is to live a life in frequent conversation with God. Are we truly friends with those we seldom talk to? Would we say that our friendship is thriving if neither of us take the initiative to talk to each other? One of the goals that we want to achieve together as we embark in this Hearing God series is that all of us should come with an expectation to truly have a unique, personalized, conversational relationship with God that goes beyond just head knowledge, beyond just seeing our prayers as paying off sin bills, and of course, beyond seeing our prayers as just mere checklists. Second highlight was this next statement from Dallas Willard. I fear that many people seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, comfort, and sense of being righteous. How many times I prayed in my past to desire to know God's will, but really what I'm asking is for God to pull through with what I want or desire. Many times. Safe and security is not in our sight sending God's nature. Remember, God sent His only Son to the cross and therefore his will is definitely not for keeping us safe and free from suffering. If it was, you and I won't be called Christians. We must realize that when we say God is our shepherd, he will lead us through the deepest valleys, the roughest terrain, the stormiest of weathers towards what Psalm 23 would say, still waters and quiet pastures. God is not obligated to provide us with everything we want immediately. Let us not forget that there are 150 Psalms and not just a couple of verses of Psalm 23. Now on to chapter 2. We will use this passage in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 2 to 18. Now for the whole rest of the series, I do not regurgitate everything from what Dallas Willard's book says. What I will use is scripture passages to elaborate and maybe explain a little further on the points that he made. So I'm using today 1 Kings 19, 2-18. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 19, verse 2-18 in 1 Kings. Starting with verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down on the, under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazal, king of over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nibshin, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jesu will put to death any, anyone who escaped the sword of Hazal, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those knees who have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This morning, I'm not going to sequentially regurgitate everything that was mentioned in chapter 2. What I'll attempt to do is look at the passages that Willard quoted and use for, for our devotional and see how Elijah's engagement with God was an example of the guidelines that were discussed in this chapter. The title of the chapter was Guidelines for Hearing God. What were these guidelines? Well, first of all, was love God with all our being. Second, mere humans can talk with God. And third, hearing God doesn't make us righteous. When we look at this passage, we notice that there's a poetic structure because of the words or phrases being repeated. What do I mean? Well, due to time, I'll just begin. The word is wilderness and the 40 days and 40 nights journey. Verse 4, 8, 15. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have been enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. So he got up and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazal king over Aram. Wilderness and 40. If you, haven't been th if you have been through all the Bible stories, both old and new, what two notable events come to mind when you hear the words wilderness, wilderness, I'm sorry, and 40 days and 40 nights? Well, the first should be when the Israelites left Egypt, led by Moses into wilderness for 40 years, and second, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Why? What was God's purpose to do that? He wants to set ourselves apart to focus on Him, to love Him with all our being, and to know Him. Think about it. If the Israelites went immediately into the Promised Land, the depth of their relationship with God would have been really shallow. And for Jesus, we wouldn't have known about the authenticity of His loyalty and love towards His Father if it wasn't for His wilderness encounter with Satan as he tempted him to be disloyal and unfaithful to his father. The first guideline that Willard mentioned was to love God with all our being. Well, how do we do that if we continually place ourselves in the midst of constant busyness and distractions and tie-ups? How can we start our day in the presence of God if we don't set aside time devoted to God in the wilderness, just you and him to pray, listen, and realign our loves and desires toward God? God knew that the Israelites had no clue what it meant to have a relationship with him when they came out of Egypt, and so he sent them out into the wilderness to experience his lordship, his compassion, his patience, and his provision. Through the wilderness experience, the Israelites drew closer to God and knew him better. 
Jesus went into the wilderness to reveal who God was through his faith and how he responded it to Satan. God is Lord. God is compassionate. God is patient. And God is my provider. Do you have a wilderness moment in your day? Where were you able where you are able to be one-on-one -on -one with God, to realign your loves and desires back to God and experience His goodness and know more of who He is? I challenge some of you to go to retreats like Rivendell on the Island, Westminster Abbey in Mission, just to have your wilderness moment with God. I continue to encourage all of you, if you have not had one done that yet, to do so. Take this book with you and go. Go camping, go for a hike, turn off your phone and just be silent. Have your wilderness moment with God. For Elijah, he needed God desperately. And where did he find him? In the wilderness. And just like Elijah, where God told him to return back to the place where Elijah fleed from, we are told to go back to return to our day, today, but in the presence of God. Elijah faced a crisis. He went to the wilderness to seek God. Then, when he experienced God's presence, he went back to the crisis with a different perspective. We, too, have sometimes, from our days at work, we have crisis as well. We are called to go to the wilderness, seek God. Then, when we experience God's presence, God tells us to go back to the crisis with a different perspective. 1 Kings chapter 19, 9-10, and verse 13-14. to 14. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now this is verse 13. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. If you see this, verse 9 to 10 and verse 13 to 14 are almost alike. What does this mean? What does this point mean? I entitled this little section, Question and Answer. Notice that the two phrases are nearly identical. Willard said that the next guideline is that we humans can actually have a real conversation with God. How many of you right now are angry with God? Right now. Pissed off. Annoyed. Wondering why God is so unfair. Why has God allowed a good friend to succumb to cancer and leave his wife and three children? Well, you know what? It is okay to be angry. God can take it. In fact, if you read the Psalms, most of them were David's expressed disappointment and anger with God. Yet God said that David was close to his heart. God is not some helicopter parent, dictator, or untouchable or an unreachable authority figure. No, he desires us to really be authentic and share our hurts, our humanness, our fallenness, our brokenness with him, allowing him to journey with us through our toughest times and ask him the toughest questions. In our time of wilderness, don't be afraid to do what Elijah did, to be authentic. God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? When we come into the presence of God in our wilderness, God will ask, Hi, it's good to see you. What are you doing here? Let's respond in the most authentic way. Lay out everything that is burdening our hearts to God. He knows, yet he also wants you to know more of him. Lastly, the center of this whole entire passage in verse 11 to 12. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, the phrase... Now, the phrase I would like to highlight is the phrase, pass by. What mountain is Elijah on? Does anyone recall? It was the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I'm not expecting everyone to catch this, but for those keeners out there, who also desired God to pass by on Mount Horeb? For those who caught it, it's Moses. And here are the verses. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19 and 22. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Moses needed to know that God is still with him and that he will keep his promise to his people. If some of you might remember, this came after the golden calf. God was very angry with the Israelites to the point of saying, You know what, Mo? Forget about the Israelites. I'll just start a new people of God through your children. Now, a natural response would be, Sure, you're God, and hey, look at me. I'm probably the only righteous person here since everyone else followed that golden prime rib steak. Sure, Lord, bless this righteous person, which is me. But no, Moses did not do that. In fact, we came to realize that God was actually testing Moses' faith and loyalty to the covenant. Moses instead responded this way, God, keep your promise, and I promise that your people will keep theirs. Remember your covenant with your people. But please, show me that you have not left us. Show me that your covenant, your promise, is still with us by passing by, by allowing me to experience your presence. The last guideline that Willard mentioned was hearing God was hearing God does not make us righteous. When we experience God's presence, the pass by is not because we are righteous. It's not because of our righteous stuff that we do or the holy stuff that we do. No, when God reveals his presence to us, we see him passing by. He is reminding us who he is and what's that? Listen to what, and what is that? What, who is God? Listen to what Moses said in verse 34, 6 to 8. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When God reveals his presence to us, he reveals and reminds us of who he is, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Which means we're no better than the other person just because we experience the presence of God or that we heard God's voice. No, when we experience God, we become more aware and understand more fully of who God is in the light of the burdens, the struggles, the circumstances of life that we laid out during our wilderness experience with him. We see our situations and can understand our situations better through the lens of knowing our compassionate, gracious, patient, loving, and faithful God. That's hearing God. And I hope that this morning, you are encouraged to find your, your wilderness time with God. Speak to God authentically and know more of his compassion, grace, patience, love, faithfulness in light of your circumstances. We all have busy days. We all have work to do and, and we all have to go to work each day. And there are times when uh, we experience crises, whether it be relationships with our coworkers, our bosses, whether it be the situation that is in front of us, um, whether it be there will be problems at work, we all face these things. And day in, day out, regardless of whether we sleep on it, we will face it the next day. 
So it's very important to find ourselves a place where we can spend, where we can go to our wilderness and spend time with God, experience Him, and allow Him to remind us of who He is and why we're here, and that God is with us. Then as God returns us back to that day of crises, we go in with a different perspective, a different mindset, and maybe a different pair of eyes to see the crisis that, uh, in God's eyes.